when I was 25 and a half, I started a podcast. The goal? To review some of the newest and the latest movies, along with some other stuff. With the help of my guests, I was able to do this. But there were dark forces tampering with my podcast. And with me. They called it an improvised podcast for some reason. I eventually found help in the form of myself. Yes, the me from a universe where the movies I reviewed got delayed. Apparently, my podcast made it to his universe. I know now that it is my duty, for the good of that universe, nay, the multiverse, to keep recapping and reviewing these movies, to hold listeners over until they could eventually see the movies as they were made in their world. For some reason, they come out differently in my world, but it's kind of entertaining that way. My name is Steven Schinder, and this is Delayed Replay. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another exciting episode of Delayed Replay, that podcast where we review movies that haven't come out in that other universe. I'm your host, as always, Stephen Schinder. And joining me once again, you may have heard them on previous episodes. It is Dylan and Keon from the Decorative Vegetable Podcast Network thing. Um, how are you guys? <laughs> <laughs> thing i like that bob baker wrote a new canine book on october 29th 2020 featuring the axons and the world famous doctor who villain the mandrills <laughs> as well as meeting keon's favorite doctor who character of all time drax oh <laughs> uh, yes drax this is, from this is guardians the, of the galaxy yeah real by the way <laughs> <laughs> oh wow yeah <laughs> every time i say something completely and utterly incredulous you guys don't believe me i mean i believed you but i felt obligated to say oh wow yeah after clicking on the tweet that shows it costs more to ship overseas than it does to buy the book 10 pounds plus 15 pounds shipping. <laughs> All right. So how are you guys doing tonight on this fine night? Well, you know, it's it's another, it's just another night. You know, we joined the call and Stephen was like, good afternoon. And I was like, well, I mean, in technicality, yes. <laughs> and that's where we're at. That's where I'm at. I don't know where Keon's at. I'm at uh, reading the Wikipedia page for Sunshine 2007. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it looks pretty interesting. Written by Alex Garland. It explores physics, science, and religion. Kind of like Canine Timequake, come to think of it. I mean, it the religion subplot was my favorite part of this movie. Right, right. Mine too. So, yeah, we're talking about the movie Canine Timequake, which graced cinemas back in 2017 in our universe. Apparently, it hasn't come out in that other universe for some reason. I don't know why, but yeah. So, yeah, I guess it's kind of similar to the situation with those Space Jam sequels and spinoffs where they exist over here, but not over there. 
Well, you know, I don't know how I feel about K9 time quake existing. <laughs> Every time I hear of a project involving K9 and, you know, Omega, just <laughs> I have to wonder, you know, what, what Bob Baker's doing. Bob Baker just cashing in that check, you know, lying in his bed going, damn, I'm, I'm running out of money. About time I wrote another K9 property. Right. Yeah, crank out another K9 script. Yeah, so I, I guess we'll briefly go over, like, our experiences with Doctor Who. So, like, just briefly, like, what are your guys' experience with Doctor Who, which is where K9 was initially introduced? I've never even heard of it. <laughs> well, that's weird because I've actually been podcasting about it for seven years. Yeah, fortunately, <laughs> I have too. Yeah, almost eight. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm more in a wistful state of I wish I had never heard of it at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> wow, what is, what's with this, you know, what's with this sort of, I don't know, vitriol towards Doctor Who that doesn't seem to be actually present on our podcast? Is this where you're towards Doctor Who. There's, there's only there's only vitriol towards the majority of Doctor Who fans, or actually no, the vast minority of Doctor Who fans, the vocal, the vocal minority of Doctor Who fans. Yeah, I, I agree, and perhaps this doesn't extend into K9 fans. I think K9 fans are more chill and down to earth, but like if they K9 exist. specifically fans, yeah, well, <laughs> well they absolutely know. exist. We've got three of them on the podcast right now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's something about Doctor Who fans in general that makes them woefully and painfully unfunny that just isn't the case with K9 fans. K9 fans truly are, uh, you know, just a miracle or something like that. <laughs> something like a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, K9 Timequake is akin to a miracle. It, it is an important piece of cinematic history if only for what it shows us in uh, the most baffling creative choices I've ever seen. Yeah, I, I mean, K9 has been with us for like, like, I think this is coming out around the time of the, I want to say 44th anniversary of when he was first introduced. I think it was like the invisible enemy or something like that. I can't um, do that math, so... It, it was the invisible enemy, yeah, where he was first introduced. Yeah, with like the that fourth Doctor and Leela era, and there've been uh, other canines as well. Um, like the one that was with him and Ramana, and later the one he gives to Sarah Jane in that canine pilot, and we see canine again in class reunion Doctor Who episode where Sarah Jane comes back and. Also in the Sarah Jane Adventures, so... Yeah, yeah there's like but... six million copies of K-9 roaming the universe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and 2009, this Australian K-9 TV show comes out, and basically it's more kid-friendly than the Sarah Jane Adventures, even. Um, like, I think I've, I saw, like, the first nine episodes of this, like, several years ago, and basically it's about the first canine like like the implication is that he's uh, i guess like been damaged because of like the time war or something and so he regenerates and that's why he has this new 
design that it, it doesn't look exactly like, but it has an energy similar to those like pet robot dog things that were huge in like the 2000s or something. I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about. I do. I've seen his design uh, for that show. And yeah, it's kind of, um, I don't know, horrifying. (laughs) It just looks, I don't know. Well, he, I mean, the thing is in that show, he can like either fly or at least levitate. So that's kind of, I guess, why they, they made him look like that. They made him a little more, I don't know, aerodynamic or something. Yeah. It's like when you thought r2d2 can fly in attack of the clones r2d2 uh, can fly in attack of the clones yeah in that droid factory scene he like he oh, has like yeah. these jet things oh, um, yeah. and then in revenge of the sith he uses those to set the oil on fire to kill the super battle droids those were like such an, integ- an integral part or integral part of R2-D2's character that they became like one of his only skills in the Lego Star Wars video games. <laughs> yeah, those Lego Star Wars games are pretty top-notch. really enjoyed the Skywalker saga, which came out like last year. Um, I'm just waiting for uh, Lego K-9. <laughs> Lego K-9. It's Lego K-9. It adapts... The canine series, it adapts Time Quake, it adapts every canine property you can imagine, <laughs> including the audio dramas, because why not? Yeah, I mean, just bring John Leeson back for that. <laughs> the creator of that Australian TV show, or creators, I should say, Bob Baker and Paul Tams, they returned to do this movie, which was not a direct sequel to that show, but like the design for K9 is very much like that show, but I guess they were trying to make like a standalone adventure type of thing. Um, oh, like, what did you guys think of this movie's approach when it came to continuity? I mean, I've said this many times on uh, on Trust Your Doctor, our Doctor Who podcast, but I really don't care about continuity or canon um, really in anything, but especially in Doctor Who and Doctor Who related things. Um, so I was fine with how they handled the movie as sort of disconnected and and detached from the rest of it. Although, you know, all that said, I would have been fine with any approach, really. I really wouldn't care, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> even though the even though like the Bob Baker and Dave Martin verse and their like their Doctor Who <laughs> is really my favorite. I mean, maybe I should just say this, but like Armageddon Factor, an episode where Canine or a story rather where Canine almost dies, shockingly. It's basically my favorite classic Who episode, so. Oh, so it's not The Massacre? No, no, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe if The Massacre was written by Bob Baker and Dave Martin, it would have been better there. Yeah, I said it. (laughs) You know what? There, I said it. (laughs) I mean, if The Massacre included K-9, just no explanation, it would have been better. (laughs) The Abbot of Amboise is (laughs) K-9. Yeah, he would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for those those pesky non-robot dogs. And then he gets unmasked, right? And he's just canine. <laughs> canine. Yeah, I, I thought it was weird when this movie opened up. Like during the opening credits, it's like it, it it's like a callback to that canine intro theme from that pilot, but it's like a 
dubstep version. So yeah, it, that was it's, great. Yeah, it was like do 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 and like it just has the drop and it was so obnoxious but so annoyingly entertaining at the same time to me. Yeah, if the movie had just ended right there, it, it would have been perfect. You know, that <laughs> intro sequence. <laughs> that intro sequence with K9 flying between the planets, you know, blowing up the Death Star, which, you know, it's clearly like, it's not ever identified as such on screen, but you know what it is. <laughs> just yeah. just yeah. blowing through all these famous science fictional worlds, just destroying them at the speed of light. <laughs> And yeah, you know, you really, <laughs> you really got to hand it to like Bob Baker. I, I assume this was his creative choice, you know, <laughs> striking while the iron is ice cold and using dubstep, which hasn't been relevant since 2014. Wow, that's when Trust Your Doctor started. <laughs> Thanks for reminding us, Stephen. <laughs> Thanks for reminding us that we were in high school when we started that podcast. And then You're in high school. We graduated very soon after we started it. It was it was it was like a semester later. It was like half a year. Yeah, you're right. It was like six months later. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like right from the get go, it, like they hit the ground running by showing that somehow K9 has become corrupted. Like he has a stereotypical like red light on him that indicates ooh the robot's gone evil and it's like whoa what happened here um and of course we f eventually find out that this is all part of omega's plan uh his very convoluted plan um what do you guys think of the choice to bring omega into this movie like against k9 it was one of two things I knew about the movie going in. I mean, that's sort of how this movie was built and advertised, right? K9 versus Omega. Um, and so, like, for me personally, I think I've been so, I guess, um, you, you know, I was sort of, I've sort of been accustomed, you know, I guess you'd say to, to the premise. I kind of had already imbibed it over the years. So I honestly didn't really think much of his presence. I was just like, all right, this is what it's going to be. It's going to be K9 versus Omega. I mean, with the, like we said, the intro sequence being them just destroying famous sci-fi properties at the speed of light, there's <laughs> only one, one villain who, you know, who can match that kind of unlimited cosmic power. <laughs> and that's Omega, you know, basically Doctor Who's version but the closest thing Doctor Who has to a god, except for all those other godlike beings that Doctor Who has introduced, <laughs> like that son that ate memories, or that demon in Satan Pit, or, you know, like the other half a dozen things that are godlike in the Doctor Who universe. Yeah, like the ambassadors of death. Everybody forgets the ambassadors of death were unkillable. <laughs> Untouchable, literally. You touch them, you die. <laughs> Yeah, or that lantern that eats people's tears. <laughs> I don't even remember that, to be honest. I made that up, but it sounds like it, it'd be a thing, right? <laughs> he pulled a key on. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, we have Omega, who 
Like, I remember he was a villain in The Three Doctors. And, of course, there's at least one big Finnish audio with Omega, which I've actually listened to. And, yeah, it's a very niche villain, I would say. Um, At least that's how I perceive him anyway. And they don't really update his look to be more modern. Like, it basically looks like they dug the 70s costume out of a box or something. I think they literally did, I think. (laughs) I think Bob (laughs) Baker went into his garage and was like, wow, I have the Omega costume in here. I wonder if we could use that. Save on the budget. Just pocket the budget money. Like, oh, here's $1,000 to make an Omega costume. Just budget budget it and pull it out of the... you know, pocket it and pull it out of the garage. Didn't even wipe the grime and the dust and the dirt off of it. And you can tell it's gross. <laughs> yeah, it's supposed, I guess it's supposed to give him like this aged look. But yeah, it feels like digging the costume out was probably the reason they settled on Omega as the villain rather than use a more popular one or come up with an entirely new one. Um, look, I'm not going to say for fear of getting sued. I'm not going to say that Bob Baker is lazy. But I am also going to, I'm not going to not say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, I mean, if you if you think about it, actually, isn't Omega pretty much the most famous Bob Baker and Dave Martin character? That they like have the I mean, rights besides to Besides K-9. Yeah, besides for K-9, right? I mean, yeah, what about maybe. Drax, though? <laughs> I mean, people love Drax, right? Yeah, right? played by Dave Batista. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of a weird celebrity cameo moment uh, when Dave Batista played Drax in this movie. Just like <laughs> <laughs> Bob Baker being like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah," I know what I'm saying. Yeah, Drax. They, yeah, they just couldn't get the actor who played Drax in Doctor Who, so they just went ahead and did that. <laughs> well, I'm about 90% sure that guy's dead. Oh, is so, he actually? Barry Jackson played Drax. Drax the uh, Time Lord Drax. Died in 2013. Strax also appears in this movie. Weirdly, it's the actor who plays, like, it's Dan Starkey's birthday today, actually. Is it? Dang. Yeah, and he was That's born weird. in 1977, the same year that K-9 uh, debuted. Really? That's such a a mind trip of sorts. I always forget how long, like, I always forget that the fourth Doctor's run stretched so long, even went into the early 80s. It was like, I think it was 74 to 81. Yeah, it was. correctly. Yeah. Black. <laughs> no, but yeah, you had Dave Batista playing Drac Time Lord, but you also had Strax like having a cameo and be like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> but yeah, what what did you guys think of like Omega's convoluted plan for like what he wanted to do with the Earth? Well, it's a step up from flooding Amsterdam. <laughs> that wasn't even his real plan. We just I know. made that up. And I'm it's saying that having actually read his real plan now, like before we started recording, and knowing full well exactly what it actually was. Yeah, I know. But, I, I, you know, I think probably uh, 
you know, delayed replay listeners are not clued in, but, you know, we have a sort of a joke on our, a running joke on our podcast of, like, Omega's plan in Arc of Infinity was to flood Amsterdam because we couldn't remember the actual plan. I think, look, I, I, I am pretty sure that flooding Amsterdam was either a step in the plan or, like, a side effect of the plan. <laughs> we just turned it into being, like, the main plan because I guess all it takes for someone to be evil is to be like, you know what, I just want to flood Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably. I mean, it's pretty evil to flood a full city, probably killing hundreds at least. Yeah, I mean... Killing people does sound pretty evil, but yeah, I agree. I mean, it's nothing compared to Omega's plan in this movie, which is just to, like, disable all electronics on Earth. He doesn't even plan to kill anyone directly. It's just basically just, like, it's it's Bob Baker's extremely thinly veiled metaphor for how dependent we are on technology now, which is ironic because his paycheck for this movie is entirely dependent on K-9, an electronic character. <laughs> yeah, and the electronic money transfer, he's probably <laughs> getting straight into his bank account. Well, it is also weird how, I guess, anti, you know, uh, direct violence Omega is. You know, what did you guys think of, like, you know, before he didn't really seem to have any qualms about killing, but now, you know, it's, it's, it's as if he doesn't want to get his hands dirty anymore. I mean, what's up with that? Yet he's still going about, you know, his sort of his sort of plan, which is, which is going to, as Dylan mentioned, indirectly kill, probably thousands, if not millions. It reminds me of this alien species from one of my books uh, I'm writing that like likes to um, manipulate people and like see what happens with them. Like basically puts in motion the things that would harm people and basically they like use it and ju- they just sit back and watch the chaos ensue pretty much so i kind of feel like that's the direction they went with omega here as well like he just kind of wants to see what happens or what would happen which in a way is pretty sadistic when you think about it it's like he he's just sitting back eating popcorn uh watching the fireworks so to speak it's just interesting that we seem to have evolved to a calmer more hands off omega one who's content to uh to be almost uh you know we make this comparison that the master is like moriarty but but the master is too flamboyant too front and center of his plans to really be moriarty it's it's almost like omega in this movie has actually become the moriarty of the Doctor Who universe, sitting in the background, manipulating events, and never really revealing himself, themselves. Yeah, and I didn't actually realize this until now, until we started discussing it, but, like, I guess that's where all the uh, Okapi imagery for Omega comes in, right? Like, you know, the the animal, the Okapi, I didn't really know what it was yeah. until, you know, just looking it up right before we started recording, but, like, its uh, natural habitat is very uh, contained and small. So, you know, it kind of just sits back and it's in its own little den and I guess watches the world as mm-hmm. Omega does in the movie. So kind of, I mean, it makes sense, right? It's, uh, it, it lines up. You got to give Bob Baker credit for actually putting in Okapi imagery into the movie. <laughs> yeah. 
Is this the first feature-length movie to feature Okapi? Maybe. Yeah, nobody even knows what these damn things are. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, symbolism always makes the movie better. (laughs) You know, speaking speaking of symbolism, it was kind of interesting that... uh, that that Bob Baker decided to do a sort of Kill Bill riff with this movie, you know, to have K-9 on a revenge path for most of the movie, hunting down Omega <laughs> by by hunting down his subordinates throughout the movie, you know, kind, kind of interesting uh, plot-wise. There. What, what did you guys think of that kind of whole setup? In hindsight, it makes sense that they didn't make this a sequel to the kid show because, you know, this is a slightly edgier K-9, like, like not that edgy but still like in a way where i guess they thought maybe the kids would be kind of frightened and maybe they'd see this and be like that's not my canine or something like that and like i totally understand why they tried to make this a separate standalone adventure like it could still happen like after or during that show or whatever but it's just its own adventure whenever it takes place yeah yeah i guess you can like head candidate into taking place during the show where canine just goes on like this <laughs> big finish style revenge, <laughs> <laughs> revenge <laughs> quest rampage across the universe destroying planets and destroying alternate universes <laughs> yeah the, the alternate universe thing was that kind of came out of left field you know but it was interesting seeing the alternate universe canines. I mean, it was sad watching them just get vaporized by prime <laughs> universe canine in his ultimate quest to defeat Omega. But yeah, like there were canines of different colors and different metals. It was yeah. Personally, yeah, my and... favorite canine was the bricklaying canine, whose whose entire job <laughs> was just laying bricks in that universe. Yeah, and was made out of bricks. I mean, don't forget that part. And it's like, it got actually really meta. You know, it was meta enough, kind of, with like the Omega costume, but like just seeing all the other canine props be <laughs> melted <laughs> in real time in this movie was a real yeah. trip there, there was a real and i can't believe i'm making this comparison for for canine time quake of all things a very koyana scotsy vibe <laughs> to a lot of it. yeah and just the dialogue the large swathes of the movie without dialogue like that too where it was just the uh the, the driving soundtrack being the driving force behind everything it was, you know, it was almost, I can't, yeah, I mean, I don't know if this may be the most apt descriptor, but it was almost like, you almost, it almost sort of enraptured you, got you into this state of euphoria, you might say. Yeah, I mean, when K-9 goes to the Lego universe and there's like a Lego brick K-9 there, like it's all colorful, like you would expect Legos to be, but then it slowly fades to black and white and goes full screen to widescreen. You, you know what I mean, where like it adds like the black bar at the top and bottom to show how serious it's going to be. And it's like, oh, shoot, I guess stuff is going to go down. Yeah, and that's another meta aspect of it, too, um, where it does go like it changes the aspect ratio, you know, going from what you might expect from a TV show to a movie. So maybe that is some sort of, I don't know 
meta connection with the show that I, I guess maybe we didn't pick up on. Because I haven't watched the show. I, I don't know if you guys, as Stephen, you have. I don't know if Dylan has. Not not recently, I'm going to be honest. Not recently. Okay. I'm not going to pry more into that. <laughs> <laughs> well, were you going to be like, why haven't you watched it, Dylan? <laughs> no, I was going to be like, you know, I was going to, I guess, I don't know, just question what what constitutes recently and like what what we even mean by that but whatever it doesn't matter he was he was going to basically create a time quake and investigate my use of recently and its relation <laughs> to temporal <laughs> spatial mechanics uh, okay so i guess getting back to omega's plan um obviously shutting down all the electronic stuff was a huge surprise to humanity <laughs> and <laughs> Yeah, and he basically, like, says all this technical jargon, you know, all this techno babble, saying that this is the first step to creating a time quake, which will alter the history of the universe. I guess, like, I got kind of lost, but I guess the combination of chaos on Earth without the use of these electronics and just canine rampaging through these... (laughs) universes is supposed to be what would create the time quake i I don't know it's kind of convoluted there's a whole thing where he's like drawing energy from canines and other universes to power his techno babble nonsense and and that's why canine is slaughtering his his counterparts in the other universes why he doesn't just like destroy the machine first is anybody's guess. I, I think K9 was secretly harboring bloodlust for the other canines to begin with. <laughs> yeah. But then K9 ends up in the cassette universe, and that's where he meets a K9 who's basically made of cassette tapes and who's able to like overpower him and actually like reprogram him so that he's more his normal self because it felt like there was this meta commentary where like uh baker and tams were saying yeah remember cassette tapes that was pure to Val's technology at its purest like not any of these advancements i've come after like floppy disks or laser <laughs> disks or anything like that <laughs> what what was like it had had to do with entropy right because it was like within the movie the like the anti-entropic energy came from like the clarity and um and i don't know just the uh just the the um the force behind music right which is sort of something that you know is just its own you know each song is just its own thing and nothing else um which obviously you know tied into the whole timeline issue right where it's like nowadays there's so there's such an overload of information but if we could just go back to the days when we used cassette tapes then that wouldn't be as much of a problem Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. what i got out of it i don't know (laughs) (laughs) i was just gonna say it's weird that they want to go back to cassette tapes when you know like those are still electronic you still need electronics (laughs) to use cassette tapes yeah but speaking of entropy, eSpace is also part of this. And like, K9 interacts with the other K9 who's been to 
space and i thought this was a nice little interaction you know it was like they went on this like spiritual journey for a segment of the movie so that k9 could remember what he really is and it, it felt really religious in a way with all the trippy imagery like and floating turtles and whatnot like what did you guys think of that very terry pratchett you know, turtles all the way down. <laughs> yeah, disc world. <laughs> My favorite part was at the end where the the where our main character canine just still vaporizes the other canine regardless. <laughs> Your turtle canine deserved better. Turtle canine deserved better. He yeah, should get I... his own spinoff. Spinoff to the spinoff. Turtle canine. Turtle yeah, quake. It, it kind of felt like this joke before the end credits where it's like things have been resolved but then k9 like shoots the other k9 just to be funny and everyone just laughs in the freeze frame (laughs) yeah the only instance in the movie of the laugh track i mean what did you guys think of that (laughs) you have to admire the cinematic brilliance to go 20 minutes before that without any spoken dialogue in full uh full musical trance and then just all of a sudden canine murders another canine and we get a laugh track. You, you have to admire the, the sheer hubris of, the, of Bob Baker <laughs> to, to do that. And Paul Tams to an extent, you know, but. The, the sheer audacity, he might say. <laughs> like it's very well recorded and whatnot in our minds. <sighs> <laughs> No, but we're getting ahead of ourselves, though. So K-9 is basically back to his normal self, and he's like, I got to figure out a way to defeat Omega. Um, But except not sounding like that. Like, obviously, he sounds like John Leeson. Um, Like, I don't sound like John Leeson, so I'm not even going to try. But yeah. (laughs) Keon's Um, well known for his John Leeson impression. Keon? Wait, what? No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what? I mean, the thing that K9 says over and over is affirmative, right? Affirmative. Yeah, that was pretty good. Both of those actually were pretty good. Again, Keon, well known for his John Leeson impression, being the, yeah, the well, arbiter and the judge here of, of whether we're good or not. Like that's the only thing I know Keon for, and, <laughs> and wow. not his seven and a half years of podcasting. And I mean, Keon almost sounds like K9. So, you know, I think Conspiracy there's something unlocked, there. confirmed, headcanon and believed. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Is this all you have to say, Keon? I'm pretty much speechless. Uh, Keon, Keon didn't tell us this, but he was actually bringing over the secret third host of uh, podcasts, The Stunned Silence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to say whatever that character's name was from Torchwood, who they act like was almost there, like in that one episode. Oh, yeah. Adam? <laughs> was it Adam? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, was it was Adam. Adam. Yeah. Wow. How did I remember that? <laughs> I think it's easy to remember because it's also the name of that Doctor Who companion who ended up not remaining a oh, Doctor yeah. Who Adam. companion. <laughs> And pe- Man, people just like 
on top about it. Imagine if Russell T comes back to the show and he announces the next companion is going to be Adam. <laughs> Man, yeah, I, that would be I think, wild. I think Adam came back for revenge in one of the multi-doctor comics. Um, yeah, in the, the comics, he like works with the master and gets like closer than anyone else has ever to like actually killing the doctor from what I remember reading. Yeah, the comics would scrape that <laughs> grime off the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> yeah, I mean, speaking of, like, killing the Doctor, the, this is a tangent, but, like, I know you guys haven't gone through the Sarah Jane adventures, but there's an episode where Sarah Jane and someone else, uh, like, she's talking to someone, and she's like, if if the Doctor were to die, I think I would have felt it. But, like, I remember when I watched that episode, I thought that was a weird thing to say because it's, like, the Doctor could be anywhere across the the timeline. So, like, the Doctor is pretty much always dead and or, or almost always alive and all, theoretically always dead, assuming that the Doctor eventually dies. And, like, they could die in the future and, like, or the past and... Sarah Jane wouldn't even know it, so I don't know. That that's just a line of dialogue I always thought was weird. Maybe Sarah Jane is secretly a time lord. You ever think about that? <laughs> no, I honestly have <laughs> never thought about that. <laughs> Blowing your mind right now. It yeah, it's like it's like little... a hair dryer to my brain. It would make her a little more devious, right? Like, because she gets dropped off at the wrong place at the wrong time or whatever that was. And, like, she's like, oh, man, got dropped off at the wrong place at the wrong time. Yet if she was a Time Lord, you know, she probably would have had the means to correct that or something. Unless she's a third Doctor-esque exiled from Time Lord society. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, then again, if she was a Time Lord, she probably wouldn't have been wearing those overalls. You know, she probably would have had... You know the wherewithal to have a you know slightly better look. So oof, Keon <laughs> just dunking on Sarah Jane's fashion <laughs> sense right now. Bold words coming from a man talking about a lady who has since passed away and cannot possibly <laughs> respond. I would well, say italicized about... words. <laughs> All right. Well, that's better than what my comeback was going to be. So. No, but but I get I got what you mean. You were talking about the character, not the actress. Right, exactly. But we're anti-death of the author universe. I mean, I hate death of the author as well, but I don't know if that applies to what we were talking about with Elizabeth Slade. I don't know. But speaking of death of the author, what did you guys think of like in Canine's violent? You know, interplanetary, <laughs> interuniversal, rampage. actually, rampage. The uh, did you catch that little snippet where he melts down? Like it, it's, I guess it's sort of a wax statue or a wax approximation of Bob Baker, who gets just blasted. Again, Bob Baker's blatant, blatant uh, theming in the movie. You know, first it was anti-tech, then it was death of the author. What next? What What do you have up your sleeve next, Bob Baker? I mean, there was this. I mean, let's not um, beat around the bush. There was a massive sequel bait at the end of this. The sequel bait that implies Bob Baker's next move is going to be Death of Doctor Who. 
Yeah, with with that tease by having K9 melt down the wax statue of Tom Baker that was used in the Five Doctors. <laughs> Extremely yeah, meta. By the end of this, I was seriously wondering whether they actually had permission to use a lot of the stuff they were using yeah. in this movie. <laughs> Must have been really expensive. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure Bob Baker will. It. Bob Baker will do what we do on the podcast and go. Eh, it was fair use. <laughs> yeah. Fair use to destroy BBC props. <laughs> there, there was, you know, I, you know, I know Keon. I know you watch the whole credits, but if you if you wait till nearly the end of the credits, there is like a conspicuous, uh, a thank you message for a for a locksmith <laughs> located in <laughs> yeah. in Cardiff. Just down the street from the BBC Center, so yeah, I'm I'm not making any uh, I'm not making any connections. That uh, I'm, I'm just saying. <laughs> what did you guys think of the way that K9 ended up confronting Omega in like this showdown type of thing, like at the climax of the of this cinematic masterpiece? Well, I really wasn't expecting it to be a painting showdown. I really right. wasn't expecting it to be some sort of fine arts-related competition, uh, judged by none other than, uh, like we mentioned early, earlier, Dave Batista's Drax in a celebrity cameo appearance. Yeah. <laughs> well, like like the the judges of this art competition, like it was basically their jurisdiction, like who would win. And yeah, and it's like obviously K9 is going to win, especially when you see that Omega's painting is just like, you know, it, it's it's literally just a Greek letter Omega <laughs> on the background, whereas K9 creates this. K9's painting is 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 so artistic, even outside of the context of the movie. Like it's actually a genuine work of art that that somebody probably put hours and hours of time into back behind the scenes. And was just like used as a joke in the scene. The canine can just like replicate paintings. Yeah, like this painting that he made was titled Voyage. And it shows like a Victorian era ship on the water. And then under the water, there's like some welder. And it looks like very, like you said, it's very skillfully painted. Like there's some cubism in there, but... Also, traces of Albrecht Altdorfer in there. Like, it's very, it, it looks very well-crafted. Like, props to whoever ended up making this, like, just for this little scene. Yeah, shades of Rembrandt in there as well. Oh, yeah. It definitely knows its history, but it's interesting how, like, the movie itself kind of uh, throws history by the wayside. Uh, you know, when it sort of insinuates, like, Omega had Omega's a humanoid, but like K9 doesn't really have hands. Um, yet he is sort of able to uh, to outpaint Omega in a way, you might say. I mean, it's basically VeggieTales logic, where even though they don't have hands, they somehow move the objects around themselves. Oh, is that the case? Yeah, I, I haven't. Yeah. I've, I mean, I've watched, yeah, Veggie Tales, but uh, not since I was a little kid. Didn't realize it was Christian at the time either. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't realize it was Christian propaganda. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I mean the sh- the show's pretty great. Um, <laughs> like unironically. Yeah, literally retells biblical stories. Didn't didn't really realize that. <laughs> I was gonna say biblical stories are, are pretty great. You know, like there's some there's some cool stuff in there. Just when you, it's just it becomes more attractive when you retell them in that in as you know when all the characters are vegetables. I don't know why that <laughs> sentence was so hard for me to put together. <laughs> Well, it's like, you know, you have Methuselah, right? The guy who lived for like 900 years. So, of course, he would be like a vegetable. You know, you just have that in the head, right? Oh like a super rotten, moldy cucumber. <laughs> a 900-year-old cucumber. The title of my next autobiography, The 900-Year-Old Cucumber. Well, speaking of time being out of it's whack. just about Yoda. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Speaking of time being out of whack, I, I really liked sort of how, I don't know, artsy and um, non-traditional the ending of this movie was, the sort of finale, where it's as if all of time is happening all at once. Basically, like, this is the time quake, right? It's basically all time periods sort of colliding, being side by side, and it's it's like watching one of those montage pictures where you have a photo of a different scene and but here it's like they're all side by side and they all look vertical like uh, like if you get strands of spaghetti together like and each era is like within them yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know this might sound um sort of overblown um my estimation you know here of canine time quake might uh, seem almost to be too great but you know back when i read uh 100 years of solitude you know i closed that book and i was like wow there's no way they could ever adapt this into a movie just because of like how the prose plays with time but i think canine time quake has done it wow I- i've never <laughs> read this book <laughs> well we all knew there had to be the titular time quake somewhere in the movie you know <laughs> yeah well, honestly, I, I wouldn't. Uh, honestly, it wouldn't have um, surprised me if Bob Baker, of all people, had just not included the time quake in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> As uh, he's sort of a fly by the seat of his pants writer. At least that's how he is in my memory. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean the way they kind of convey the shaking of the universe is just by shaking the camera and a very classic Doctor Who. Yeah, <laughs> the actors pretending that they're moving back and forth, like uh, kind of like in Star Trek as well, when the Enterprise is like getting shot at. Right, right. <laughs> I also thought it was funny when, like, during the art sequence they're somehow able to go into the paintings like it felt very blues clues in that aspect like you know the whole blues skidoo we can too and just jumping into the painting and you know canine just chasing omega and they're just like fighting back and forth it was it was pretty epic seeing them fight like above the ocean like and under the water like that potentially also a budget saving technique you know yeah 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 i mean going back to the roots of doctor who right of not having the best budget like that that's how classic who this movie feels in a way 
Yeah, it does. So would you guys say that this fits in better with classic Who or new Who? It, it doesn't really, you know, fit in with either, but like which would you say it's closer to? It's 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 absolutely TV movie-esque in that it straddles between the two. Yeah, like it straddles between the two, but also with the weird aesthetic of the Australian K9 TV show. Like, I don't know how to explain it, but that show, it, like when I watch it, it seemed even more artificial than like some of the other like new who stuff. Like, I don't know, like. I guess it kind of feels like Spy Kids in a way to me, like just in terms of like, I I don't know. It's sort of this intangible thing. I don't really know how to explain. Isn't that thing of like how actors, live action actors after like, you know, like 2003, 2004, like don't even look real. Is that just me? Am I the only one who thinks that? That actors yes. don't even look like real people anymore? Yeah, I think that's just you. Yeah, it's just you. <laughs> wow. Thanks, guys. <laughs> no, no. I, I'm sure there's like at least one other person in the universe who feels that. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> you guys really don't think that? Like when you watch a movie from like the 90s or 80s, the actors like they look real. They look like real human beings. Like if you watch a movie from like, say, 2014, they just don't. I mean, I, I don't think that, but I do think that in some like in some film franchises that have gone on for a long time, like across decades, there is this aspect of like in the newer or the later installments, the, you know, the picture quality looks more enhanced and the actors like they make them look cleaner to the point where it feels kind of artificial. Like um, trying to think of an example, like, like Terminator Genesis and Terminator Dark Fate definitely do not feel like the first two Terminator movies as much as they try to recapture the moments of those two movies, like ra rather um, unsuccessfully, I would say. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> Yeah, or, or like even in the newer Star Wars movies, like some people could say the people look cleaner in those movies uh, compared to like the first six cause, just because technology has like marched on and maybe there's also like some makeup stuff. I don't know. Well, it's like the Star Trek Discovery problem, right? Where it's like it's supposed to be set in the same era of the original series, but technology has moved on. Yeah, Since and 50 years ago when that series premiered. Yeah, and some fans are like really upset about that for some reason. <laughs> yeah, personally, I don't care, but you know, some people really care. Yeah, I mean, when I view stuff like that, it's like I, I know that in the original series, like obviously it looks fake right like but like i know that it's that's not literally how it looks in universe like it's just sort of a filter that the audience looks at it through so like it doesn't even bother me that visually discovery doesn't look exactly like the original series when it's in that era yeah it's all just a filter through which we view the world 
including Canine Timequake being just a filter through which we view the Doctor Who universe. Remember, this is this you can consider this, and it probably is canon to the Doctor Who universe. It's canon that Canine just murdered multiple alternate versions of himself. Yeah, it's Can Can Anon uh, Canine Canon Canine on to the Doctor K- Who universe. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, with something like Doctor Who, where there's time travel and changes to stuff, I feel like it has a very fluid continuity. Like, technically, BBC doesn't really have a Doctor Who canon the way that, like, Lucasfilm says they have for Star Wars or, like, what Star Trek may have. But, yeah. Well, you know, I'm once again going to quote this Christopher Eccleston article where he says that we should just like blow up canon. And I agree with him. Yeah, I'll I'll link that in the show notes. (laughs) I don't have to do it. We referenced that like five weeks in a row on Trust Your Doctor. For five (laughs) weeks, I had to link it in the show notes. (laughs) But anyway, I, I was like really on the edge of my seat during this confrontation between K9 and Omega where there it's basically become like a battle of wits where they're trying to guess each other's favorite color and it's like it feels very classic who you know with the fourth doctor and Morbius having that mind bending competition but more simplified like it just it got me in the nostalgia feels, you know? Yeah, you know, and lo and behold, K9's favorite color is gray. Shocking. <laughs> yeah, and oh my good guess that it was blue for some reason. Well, Omega's a fool. <laughs> yeah, and K9 was able to guess successfully that Omega's favorite color was chartreuse. Such a specific color. Every every time I find out slash am reminded that chartreuse is a green color and not pink like I always seem to think it is, I'm just like my mind is blown, including watching this movie. (laughs) Yeah, it it sounds like without looking at the color and just thinking of the name, it sounds like it would be orange-ish, but it totally isn't. I don't know why. Yes mysterious it's weird yeah but but once k9 defeats omega uh, he basically gets banished kind of like how in Yu-Gi-Oh people get banished to the shadow realm it kind of gave people those vibes like like some moviegoers have been have compared it to that but I, i've never like really watched Yu-Gi-Oh that much so like i don't know i've literally never watched Yu-Gi-Oh in my life in fact, the only thing I know about Yu-Gi-Oh is is the hilarious thing that like the 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 TV show anime will constantly make OP cards to get Yu-Gi out of completely baffling situations that then get printed and completely break the actual physical card game until like some ruling body goes, we should probably make that card like illegal to use in competitive Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah, because the the it was never supposed to be like an actual card game. Like, yeah, the comic, the manga, 
and then the anime like came before that <laughs> wow i'm i'm actually surprised by that cuz it totally sound like the, the whole concept of it feels like there would be a card game at least in mind when when the story is being like introduced in some medium no, like no, I, I would think that the card game would be like one of the first things like right it, out the gate no well so i guess we're just gonna go on this tangent but, but whatever I mean, you can cut <laughs> this out if you want but like yeah the uh, the original like the very earliest like installments the very earliest chapters of the original comic were like weren't even about around the card game the idea was like the premise was that just that like this crazy ancient Egyptian pharaoh possesses this kid and engages in like really high stakes games I like the celestial toy maker yeah yeah Yeah, basically basically ends up murdering like multiple kids at the school and then they no they get sent to the shadow realm (laughs) not in the early chapters not in the early chapters Yeah, and then they introduced the card game, and then Konami got their grubby hands on it, and then it was uh, for the rest was history. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know if I'll ever. I, I'm just gonna say I'm never gonna watch Yu-Gi-Oh. Probably, like I watched that anime st- series Star Wars Visions recently, and it made me want to rewatch Animatrix and Batman Gotham Knight, but that's pretty much it yeah the animatrix did it first hashtag (laughs) all of you at home go go to twitter right now and tweet uh, uh, hashtag animatrix did it first uh, and then tag steven i don't remember what his twitter handle is at steven schinder i guess steven schinder (laughs) and and that's it that's the whole tweet make sure you do that (laughs) (laughs) if you want if you want you can also throw in the hashtag I did. I did it because the podcast told me to. Just, just if you, <laughs> you're really feeling like a sheep today. Yeah, and I still haven't finished Cowboy Bebop season one. Like, I started at the beginning of like 2020, like in January or February or something. <laughs> and, and on average, I've been watching like one episode per month, probably. All right, all right. But go, wait, go there's only the one season. Episode. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I changed my mind. Everybody at home, delete the tweet you just sent. Write a new one. Hashtag Animatrix did it first. Hashtag hurry the F up and finish Cowboy Bebop. Yeah. At Steven Schindler. Yeah, I gotta finish it before that live action version comes out on Netflix. <laughs> Looks terrible. I just have to mention that. Every time someone brings it up, I'm I'm like probably legally obligated somehow to mention that, that it looks really bad probably okay, go home and tweet uh live action cowboy bebop will be great at uh i don't remember Keon's twitter handle so just tweet it at decade podcast yeah tweet it at tyd podcast that's basically my personal twitter to admit it yeah maybe they should get chris pratt to voice Yugi in a remake. I don't know. Kind of like how they teased him voicing Canine, replacing John Leeson in the next one. <laughs> what was that all about? Look, you have to get the sequel bait in. You know, in 2017, when this came out, 
you know, we were staring down already multiple years of Marvel dominance, and you got to get that sequel paid in now. You you gotta you gotta get that in there because you want the studio to make that sequel movie. Movie, and if you're Bob Baker who pulled the script out of his couch cushions and pulled the Omega costume out of his garage because he's broke, you know, you need that sequel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, K nine basically was like. I'm a robot, so I can just change my voice. And then you hear the Chris Pratt version of affirmative or however Chris Pratt sounds. <laughs> that, that is actually true is that he, he's a robot. So like, that's a kind of a good excuse um, or a good conceit. And that actually, it, that reminds me, like every time canine is brought up, I can't believe I didn't mention this until now. It's like, he's referred to as a he. We've done it for the past, what, hour? But like technically... Yeah. Technically, canine is not a he, right? He's he's a genderless dog. He's a robotic genderless dog. Exactly. But we yeah, can use but... a he. John Leeson is yeah, a he. Yeah, true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so canine defeats Omega, and everyone's like celebrating at the end. There's much jubilation. And then there's like the ending, as we described it, um, where he shoots out of their canine, and it's like laugh track like so bad obvious laugh track <laughs> and freeze frame you know, the freeze frame was the most bizarre part you know y'all out here like damn that that laugh track was was crazy but the the freeze frame just the freeze frame was so the hubris the hubris yeah, yeah. especially having canine jump when he can he can levitate and fly the audacity of him making him jump. That was the most horrifying CG I've seen in the entire <laughs> film. Like every movie I've ever seen, that was the most horrifying CG right there. Was seeing canine's mechanical legs <laughs> yeah. jump him. Yeah, he Stretch like sh- he shifts between his classic look and his more modern, like Australian TV series esque look. <laughs> Dylan, you need to watch Food Fight because the CGI in that anim- animated film is f- freaking awful. It's probably the worst looking animated film I've ever seen. Christopher Lloyd is in it, if that makes you watch it. <laughs> that makes me actively not want to watch it because I don't want to see my childhood hero fall <laughs> from such great heights. Yeah, Christopher Lloyd plays Mr. Clipboard. I like the gif of that is just terrifying. <laughs> I think you mean the gif. It's pronounced gif. The creator said it's pronounced gif. Death of the author. And as we More know, people death, use gif. No, the author's words need to be taken into account. More people say gif than gif. That makes it, due to the flexibility of the English language, that makes it the most likely to be correct pronunciation. I mean, more people say comfortable than comfortable when like when you look at the word, it's obvious that it's supposed to be comfortable. Yeah, and more people more people say Worcestershire sauce instead of Worcestershire sauce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that doesn't make Worcestershire correct. <laughs> or as Donkey from Shrek says, Worcestershire. I can't believe I just outed myself as knowing how to say Worcestershire sauce. <laughs> Why? Why is that bad? I don't know. I just, <laughs> it wasn't something that I was like keeping hidden, but I just can't wait for everybody to tell me that I still got it wrong. 
Hey, man, you're just laying down the seeds for cooking with Trust Your Doctor. You know, you, you got to show people you have all this sauce knowledge for when you finally launch that. Kian and I joke about, like, actually doing that all the time because we think it would be hilarious. <laughs> well, I can't cook, and, and Dylan can bake, but I don't know if he can cook. I guess cooking is easier that's, than baking. That's why so. it would be hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've kind of like every once in a while, I've I've tinkered with the idea. Like, I I would just do a Facebook Live of me quote unquote cooking, and it would just be me pouring cereal. Um, mm-hmm. right. Or maybe I could do something where I just microwave something, and that's the whole cooking video. <laughs> Keon and I will make famous Doctor Who recipes, like uh, fish fingers and custard is actually the only one I can think of. Kian will make the fish fingers. I'll make the custard because I have custard powder. And that's... So do I. Hell <laughs> <laughs> yeah. From England. <laughs> Mine's also from England. <sighs> I, I do like that your initial plan for getting custard was to, to get frozen custard from the, the frozen custard place that used to exist here and melting it down. You can't get any other form of custard here. You can't even get that custard anymore because the place closed. Yeah. Yeah. We're like far, far off topic. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, I don't know why, but whenever I saw a custard on Doctor Who, it didn't register in my head that it's custard, the, the sweet thing that people use. Like in my head, I just always thought, oh yeah, it's tartar sauce. But then, like, years later, I was like, oh, wait, it's custard, the dessert thing. That is kind of weird, I guess. That's the most baffling thing I've ever heard. Do do people call tartar sauce custard? No, but I, I guess because it was fish fingers, like, in my head, I thought it was tartar sauce, which is why it didn't seem weird to me. <laughs> huh. Fish fingers and custard probably isn't that weird. Just like how bacon on a peanut butter sandwich probably isn't as weird as people think. No, yeah, I've tried fish fingers and custard. It wasn't that weird. Unless you have anything else to say about this movie, I guess we could go into final thoughts and score out of 10 and then read a couple emails that we got. Yeah, the the only other thing I thought to say was that I remembered another disgusting recipe to try on cooking with Trust Your Doctor, and it's that disgusting <laughs> sandwich that that kid made on the uh, Ch- Children of the Stones. <laughs> Where, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The one that Adam made. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Adam from Torchwood. Yeah. And there was that he actually made two because there was that other one with mint jelly. It, like, I owned mint jelly for a little while, weirdly enough. Yeah, I'm getting kind of exactly hungry. What you think. <laughs> All right, so I guess with that we can go into final thoughts and score out of ten and unit of measurement for that score. So, Keon, what are your final thoughts and score out of ten for K9 Timequake? Well, you know, I guess for final thoughts, frankly, like it takes a lot to kind of, um, I don't know, overwhelm me or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> movies or or just fiction in general, but uh, Canine Timequake had a lot going on, and, and did, um, yeah. Overall, so you know, I'm gonna. I, I guess I'll go ahead and give it ten. <laughs> Eradicated <laughs> galaxies out of ten. Wow, that's very high praise. 
Well, I, uh, I too was overwhelmed, but um, to, to quote a recent ABBA song, I think it would be fair to say that, that I was bewildered by this movie. It's the kind of movie that, that you can't just watch once. You, you have to watch it three, four, maybe even five times to get all the little subtleties. And, and I'll admit, I watched it three times for this podcast. <laughs> I watched it three times for this podcast. And uh, by the third time, I, I basically felt like I had been interred at, at you know, Shutter Island. <laughs> and uh, for a movie that can that can so, so fully in, ingratiate my, me into the world, I, I have to give it... Yeah. <laughs> I, I have to... <laughs> um, not nine K's out of nine K's, K nine. Oh <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> he nailed the delivery. Wait, so yeah. is that like nine out of nine or nine out of ten? It's a nine out of nine. That awkward, that awkward scale where like each point is worth like eleven percent. The most annoying scale of all time. <laughs> I, my mind is broken. You can pinpoint the exact moment my mind snapped in two from canine time quake. Yeah, I guess you could say it was a mind warp. Oh, no. <laughs> Reality is folding in on itself. Yeah, Maybe but... Um... Real time quake was the podcast we recorded after the fact. Maybe the real time quake was the complete lack of any sensation of time passing we experienced while watching these movies. <laughs> this movie, I mean. I feel like you guys are nicer about this movie than I am. Like, I thought it was really surprisingly entertaining, but I wouldn't, like, rank it that highly. Um, I think I'd give this one... 8.1 out of 10 uh, paintings. So yeah, I guess 8.1 kind of like 8. how K9 and company came out in 81. So yeah. Why wouldn't you just use a 100 point scale then? <laughs> Fine, Why? 81 out of 100. <laughs> it's like those people who are like, oh, I give this 1.5 stars out of 5. Just use a 10 point scale then. Just make it 3 out of 10. <laughs> I think you mentioned that uh, there were some emails to read. Ah, uh, yes. Two emails that are probably from the same person. Probably? Um, yeah. Um, I mean, same name and same email address. So, yeah, probably. <laughs> I mean, you never know when someone could, like, hack into someone's email address and send it from their address without them knowing, you know? <laughs> I mean, it could be less malicious. It could just be like two people sharing an email account and name. <laughs> right, but who would have to do that? I don't know. Maybe the person who emailed you. <laughs> no, I was like joking about podcast emails that are jointly shared, but whatever. So this is from Oliver Titcombe who actually like sent an email to the podcast um, on another time that you guys were here. I think it was for the, it was either the Mephortrix or the John Wick episode. I can't remember which one, but uh, yeah. So 
this is the one from that other universe, not the one from my universe who guessed it on that episode about the M. Night Shyamalan movie Old. So this first email actually came in while I was recording the episode on Kingsman, the Blue Blood. And then I didn't check my email by the time of the next recording, which was for that Nick Cage movie, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. But yeah, finally getting to it now. So consider this a delayed reply, Oliver. Uh, So he's... (laughs) Yeah, thank you. So he says, Dear Delayed Replay Stephen, In reference to the Delayed Replay episode about Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City, you mentioned that the origin of the term derives from... Oh, I should say the subject heading is Jumping the Shark, so he's referring to that... Um, Like the origin of the term jumping the shark derives from the plot of an episode of Happy Days when the main character literally jumps over a shark. It is a common misconception that this marked the beginning of the end of Happy Days. It actually happened relatively early in the series run and the ratings didn't tank as a result. Hard to believe, I know. If you actually want a more appropriate term, I highly recommend you use the term nuking the fridge instead. Before you ask, yes, it's exactly what you think it is. Apologies for anyone listening. Spoilers ahead. For those who don't get the reference, nuking the fridge refers to that scene in Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull when Han Solo ends up on a nuclear testing site and decides to hide in a lead-lined fridge. In an unrealistic jump in logic, this is sufficient to protect him from the radiation during the blast despite the fact the fridge should have broken open when it hit the ground, killing him instantly. The term nuking the fridge has been used ever since when a film in a franchise does something not only unrealistic, but mind-numbingly stupid, ruining the film in the process without any obvious payoff. Massive fan of the podcast, keep up the good work. Oliver of that other universe. So, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, what do you guys think of that whole happy days thing with, like, jumping the shark? I have no idea. Look, I've never watched happy days. I just wanted to jump in here and say that that based on the email as presented, nuking the fridge is not an exact one-for-one rep- replacement for jumping the shark because per the definition provided in the email, nuking the fridge is, is used when – what was what was the exact phrase? He said, like, when it's something unrealistic. When a film in a franchise does something unrealistic and mind-numbingly stupid, ruining the film in the process without any obvious payoff. Yeah, so, like, jumping a shark is, like... <laughs> yeah, it's dumb, and it's mind-numbingly stupid, but it's it's not unrealistic. Like, it's completely and utterly possible to do, whereas nuking a fridge is not... So, you know, that that's where I stand on this. I don't think the latter is actually a direct substitute for the former. Damn, those are fighting words. What do you think, Keon? I don't really have an opinion, to be perfectly honest. I know that's probably <laughs> disappointing, but yeah, I just don't. Fair enough. <laughs> I don't have an opinion, Keon is my favorite, Keon. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I do agree that I do feel like there is this misconception that jumping the shark on happy days was what led to the show getting canceled. 
when actually it was really early in the show. But I, I think the thing is that like, I think jumping the shark also may perhaps refer to how it's like the first stupid thing that happens on the show. And it's like, after that, lots of stupid things happen on the several seasons that follow kind of like how on the show family matters, they kind of jumped the shark when they started relying on Steve Urkel's inventions and making that show less grounded and more ridiculous sci-fi. When me and my friend Ted recorded that Resident Evil episode, there actually was a moment where he said that like, you know, he mentioned the jumping the shark moment on Happy Days and was like, like he said that the show was canceled shortly after that. And like when I was editing that episode, I cut that part out because like I knew it was wrong. But so but now I'm just like outing him, I guess. <laughs> and you saved him and then uh, betrayed him. The <laughs> kind of jumping the shark here, Stephen, kind of nuking the fridge. Yeah, what's <laughs> what's also kind of funny is I... I noticed this jumping the shark email after I'd messaged my friend. Um, well, uh, I might bleep out his name when I say I- I'll ask him if Dude, he's I'll, comfortable. I'll just, with I'll just make a beep noise when you say his name. You you won't even have to do it in post. Manuel. Beep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. D- D- Dylan has met him um, a few times at least, but yeah. So. Um, like we were talking about the Sopranos and he mentioned something about the show jumping the shark. I, I think he made up the event just to joke around. Like this was the moment when it jumped the shark. And like after that, I sent him a gif from the show community where you Donald, I, I meant what I said when, <laughs> when, uh, <laughs> Donald Glover's character, Troy, like his friend Abed tells him that they shouldn't move in together because best friends living together is kind of jumping the shark. And then Troy's response was, and for the record, there was an episode of happy days where the guy jumped over a shark and it was the best one. (laughs) Like, I think I even mentioned that on the Resident Evil episode, but yeah, I sent that gif to my friend and then I saw this email like right after, which was kind of spooky. But yeah, thanks for that email, Oliver. Um, I guess I'll read this next one from him. Dear Other Stephen. Um, he misspelled my name with a PH for some reason. I don't know why. But... Uh, Stephen. <laughs> yeah, it's like, who am I, Stephen King? Uh, I don't know. But yeah, he says, subject heading is Dennis the Menace. Uh, He says, in your most recent episode of Delayed Replay, um, I guess that would be the Kingsman, the Blue Blood episode. uh, He says, Other Greg, uh, that's Greg and Ted were both on that episode. He says, Other Greg briefly mentioned Dennis the Menace. What wasn't mentioned was there are two versions of Dennis the Menace. There is the British version where Dennis has dark hair and has a companion called Nasher. Also, his neighbor is called Walter. Then you have the U.S. version where Dennis has blonde hair and his neighbor is called Mr. Wilson. It is a genuine coincidence that the two have the same name. Love the podcast. Keep up the good work. Oliver from that other universe where the films got delayed. 
So yeah, this was my first time hearing that there's like a British Dennis a Menace and an American Dennis a Menace. And I like looked into this even further. Apparently they both debuted in comic strips on the same exact date, like March 12th, 1951, without like knowing about each other, which is really weird. It's just a glitch in the matrix. Everything will be fine. Stephen, I need you to go back to sleep. Don't wake up. This is your conscience speaking. (laughs) Yeah, there's actually this fan theory that apparently got confirmed if TV tropes is anything to go by, but that (laughs) the British Dennis the Menace is like the father of the American Dennis the Menace because like the dad looks like him. What? The Dennis the Menace lore is too deep for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Dennis the Menace podcast when... I knew knew exactly that that was exactly (laughs) what you were going to say. I knew it because I wanted to say the same thing. Yeah, look, look. Dennis the Menace might be deeper than we think. Like, the name Dennis, if you say it backwards, is sinned, you know? So there, there's like those implications, those biblical allusions, possibly. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, but that's basically all I had to say about those emails. Uh, thanks for sending those emails, Oliver. Uh, those are like the Dennis Menace thing is genuinely educational. And I feel like my life is better now that I know that knowledge. I don't know about you guys, but that's how I feel. It's just more useless trivia for me to spout after my friends who go, Dylan, why do you know so much useless trivia? <laughs> yeah, like if you ever end up on, like, I'm trying to think of a game show that would not require any trivia whatsoever. <laughs> oh. De- well, deal or no deal. <laughs> deal or no deal? Whammy. Yeah. <laughs> like the only ones. Or one of the one of the physical based ones, like um, like American Ninja Warrior or something like that. Yeah, I would fail the like the first, the very first obstacle on the. Uh, yeah, American so would I. Ninja. Yeah. So would I. I wouldn't land that first jump. I don't even know if it is a jump. It's probably. A it jump. usually is. It usually is actually. Yeah, or Squid Game, whatever that show is. <laughs> I haven't heard of that one. Inevitable like made... season seven or whatever. <laughs> God, what if they like made a version of those game shows but, like with like croc infested waters <laughs> below <laughs> <laughs> and just jump the croc instead of jumping the shark? Um, yeah, well, okay, yeah, it would be better for the sharks, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Shark Tank is kind of like a game show, right? <laughs> you, you go in front of some judges and they tell you whether you're right or wrong. For like what you're giving them. <laughs> sure. All right. Well, I guess that's everything. Uh, thanks for guesting on the show once again, guys. Where can people find all your stuff? Oh, here and there. Kian <laughs> <laughs> was so casual about that. Like, oh, just, you know, here, there, at the grocery store, on the pin board, in the local job posting, in the local newspaper looking for a job, you know, those kind of places. If you're not living in the 19th century and actually have a computer, you can find us at decadentvegetable.com. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) decadentvegetable.com. 
all our podcasts are linked from there. That would be inevitable. A classic sci-fi podcast, triple play, a movie trilogy podcast, Trust Your Doctor, a Doctor Who podcast, and Zenith, a Blake 7 podcast. You can also find us on YouTube, actually, at Decorative Vegetable. Yeah, and you can also check us out on social media. Trust Your Doctor on Facebook, TYD Podcast on Twitter. That Twitter page has basically is sometimes a fun meme page to look at with some of the stuff you post. Yeah. Keon's yeah. also posted some scalding hot takes on the on the Twitter yeah. feed. I'd like to remind everyone that Keon runs the Twitter feed and doesn't speak for the podcast as a whole when he posts those scalding hot opinions. <laughs> yeah, I really take no, you know, I, I really make no effort to speak for the podcast as a whole at all. Yeah, I mean, the podcast is its own AI, much like K9 himself, so it, it can speak for itself if it wants to. Well, the decorative vegetable entertainment enterprises really is its own kind of amorphous being, you know? D-V-E-V. More like amorphous being. Like Morpheus from the Matrix. Yeah, as for where people can find my stuff, they can follow me at Steven Schinder on Instagram and Twitter, Steven Schinder Storytelling on Facebook. You can go to stevenschinder.com, look for info on my novel Lemons Will Make Rain, which is on Amazon. More info to come on the next book whenever it's on the way. And you can also email delayed replay podcast at gmail.com if you want to send in stuff like what Oliver sent in like stuff that'll really enlighten us for the better like though the people need to know the truth you know um <laughs> i don't know why Dennis, the menace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't know why i made it sound so ominous like that but yeah um hey you can also find me on the podcast yes shift which i do with my dad where we talk about the progressive rock band yes uh, talking about their new music and old music and stuff that the members have done on the side. Like there's lots of stuff to talk about. And I recently recorded, uh, well, I guessed it on my friend Jesse's podcast question, possible answer where we talked about the Goonies for like almost two hours. So that, <laughs> that might be out by the time this is out. So good. Go ahead and check out, his podcast, uh, his and Phil's podcast, it's pretty good. Like asking the questions about movies that you might not even think of. And yeah, I guess that'll do it. And I have a couple of ideas for what the next episode after this will be, but I guess I'll just leave it as a surprise for now. Uh, and without further delay, have a good day. <laughs>